1: You've just landed on the Ellis Martin Report. Stay with us for the next half hour as we present you with expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. Companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. Whatever. I'm the announcer he's asked to make these disclosures. And I like the sound of my own voice. Don't you? Yeah, you do. Okay, on the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Welcome to the program. As we do each week, we'll hear from analysts
0: as well as publicly traded companies with regard to the resource sector, whether it is precious metals, rare earths, rare metals, or oil and gas. This week, I'll be speaking with the silver guru, David Morgan of themorganreport.com as we have witnessed what appears to be a bottom in precious metals come and go in the month of August. What's next? David will weigh in with his opinion. Dudley Baker of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com shares his commitment to going all-in on the heels of that same bottom in gold and silver. He accomplishes this by watching leading market indicators that have performed well in the past along with coming trends and watching what the insiders are doing as they buy and sell stock from their respective companies. I'll also speak with Ian Chalmers, Managing Director of Alkane Resources, an Australian-based polymetallic company trading in the U.S. under the symbol A-N-L-K-Y. Alkane is headed toward production with a $30 million per year gold project, and within a couple of years they'll be producing what should be a $500 million per year zirconium project in New South Wales, Australia. What's happening in the world of oil and gas? We've got a producer on the show, Gale Force Petroleum, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GFP. I'll talk with President Michael McClellan about their producing oil and gas wells in the U.S., generating revenue for the company. Before we get into the program, you should consider that companies mentioned on this show have typically compensated us for their exposure on the Yellow Smart Report. The segments are not necessarily unbiased, therefore. If you are considering investing in any of our sponsor companies, do so only after doing your own research and never risk what you cannot afford to lose. You're also welcome to contact our client companies by clicking through their logos found on the homepage of our website ellismartinreport.com my email address if you'd like to contact me is martinreports at gmail.com that's martinreports at gmail.com let's begin the show the following segment is sponsored by LT Gray silver corp trading on the tsx venture exchange under the symbol els.v and on the otcqx as egrtf El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the silver guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is TheMorganReport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Oh, that great me back. Now you and I have been talking about this for maybe a year. You've been saying any time that silver was under thirty dollars an ounce, you should definitely consider buying it or accumulating it. It's been under thirty dollars for a long time. It's been down to twenty nine, twenty eight, twenty seven, twenty six. Sprott and the Chinese came in and bought a bunch at the recent bottom. We're over thirty dollars today. You had your chance, folks. And you called it, David.
3: Well, thank you. And what I was referring to, as you know, Alice, was physical buying. Anytime you can buy silver under $30 for a long-term investment, I think it was well worth it. And as you say, we're up to about 30, 60 as we're doing the show today. And I feel a bit vindicated. When it first went under 30, it was there briefly and it popped right back up. But one of my paid subscribers said, wow, you really called that one. What do I do now? And you know, I can't give individual investment advice. It's not allowed in the newsletter industry, but I, did put it in the Morgan report as a question, you know, to the editor, and said, "Look, it depends on you. If you're short term oriented and you trade a lot, then you know, make a decision here. But as far as I'm concerned, it's a long-term hold. I don't see much uh, of a better investment than the precious metals. You know, we may get there again, and obviously, from that point till this has probably been several months. But here we are above 30, and I think a key area to watch is the 32 level." That's from my work in you know looking at technical analysis for so long about where the first real resistance comes in the silver market. So I think we're good for probably another dollar on the upside. Probably not in one day or maybe, but as fast as it's moving, else could be in another week or two.
0: Well, if you're holding two or three or four hundred ounces of silver at a minimum, each day it goes up fifty cents or a dollar, you're doing all right.
3: Absolutely, and I mean there are people that are on our lists that are holding you know thousand or two thousand or ten thousand ounces. So I mean these bigger players with ten or twenty thousand ounces, you know, as you said, a dollar move is a twenty thousand dollar move. If you're holding that much. Now there aren't many that do, but there are some, and yeah, it's a, it's a nice vindication of the market itself. And of course, we've got a long ways to go. I don't want anyone new or that's bought at 35 or 40 that's upset or whatever. I do believe strong will get there. I think we're going to see 35 to 40 by the end of this year. And I think 2013 is going to be the next leg up in the metals. It'll be the beginning of the final leg up in my view. And again, that's subject to change. The reason I say that is it's always easy to look backwards in time and see the exact first leg up, second leg up, and third leg up. As far as the charts look right now, it looks like we've had two legs up and we have one more to go. Could be that one and two legs actually turns out to be just the first leg up with a blip in the middle. I don't know yet pretty confident in my calls on this but again the market knows more than all of us and i very much say that because it's true there's anyone out there that makes these calls hundred percent of the time accurately but i think our record speaks for itself
0: you not only recommended that everyone consider silver at thirty dollars an ounce but you also called a bottom to the market in august and i think we can safely say that that's come and gone
3: i think so going back time slightly i called the bottom for the mining equities in may and it turns out from today's perspective and i'm pretty confident on this one that the mining equities bottom is in and that's basis the xau hui gdx gdxj anyone you like to take i like using the smaller ones like the gdx and the gdxj but Anyway, that was in. And then for my paid membership, I wrote a month or two ago that, you know, I've been at this really now, it's hard to say, but four decades. And it's been my experience that the equities usually bottom before the metals themselves. Usually it's a lag of two to three months. Again, that forecast in August bottom. The seasonalities haven't been working for the last year or so. I said even though the August bottom is seasonally the bottom for gold, usually I don't think it's going to be the case this year. I think it's going to be up, up, and away in August. And here we are, you know, the 24th of August, where gold is, uh you know, made quite a move uh up and toward the $1,700 level and again, silver is pushing toward the $31 level.
0: We had some interesting news yesterday, which I posted on our website, about the GOP adapting a sort of platform policy about reinstituting the gold standard since I guess it was the Republicans that took it away in the 70s under Nixon. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, my thoughts. I'm a little skeptical on anything out of the mainstream media about gold or Adopting a gold standard but from the long-term historical perspective I mean basically the short-term course in monetary history is fiat money disaster back on a gold standard stability then it morphs into a fiat money disaster and then back on a gold standard for stability and that's really the short course it's much more deep and complex than that but those are the general ideas I am for an honest money system and the metals have Always proven to be the best, and the best system is a bimetallic or actually a trimetallic system. Gold alone is something that usually morphs into a paper money system. When you have a monometallic standard, a gold only system, And who owns the gold makes the rules, and if the banks own the majority of the gold, they get to make the rules, which means to change the gold only to a partial gold standard, to partial gold backing, to a claim check on the gold that's in their bank, to a, and then they morph into, like, what happened August 15, 1971, well, gee whiz, we don't have all the gold out there to back all these pieces of paper, we can't do anything about that sorry about that, folks, and they reneged on the contract. And again, that's a repeat of history again and again and again. So I am for honest money, but I'm also for honest banking, and I think that a lot of things have to change. So just a platform, I think, is a good signal that at least some of the political class are waking up to the reality that things are not working, and if we continue on this lying paradigm of pretending everything's okay when it's falling apart all around us, I think something's got to change, so at least they're recognizing that. So that's the way I see it, Ellis.
0: Do you think anything in particular sent the market up recently as far as the price of gold is concerned? I don't think stocks have come along yet. When do you think the mining stocks will catch up?
3: Well, actually, the mining stocks, as I said, are bottom, but are they making you know the two or three times move relative to the percent gains in the metals? The answer is no, so it's a mixed answer. The bottom's in, they're showing strength. There have had some days where the mining shares have actually increased substantially without a big move in gold. The mining stocks are definitely waking up and will continue to do so in my view. As far as, you know, seeing this coming, that's a tough one. When I made my call to go long, the futures market on my advanced service where you get to see what trades I'm making. lack skill, call it whatever you want. I got in around the $28 level. We're up almost $3 from there. So on a single contract basis, that's well over $10,000 for contract. I want to give a warning. I don't give trading advice. I just allow people to see how I see the market and what I'm doing. On top of that, futures are definitely not for everybody. Most people do not belong in the futures market. Nonetheless, a lot of people like to see when I think a breakout's going to occur because they want to maybe leverage somewhat or not. In other words, they just like to see the timing. And I'm more of a position trader. I mean, this is not a trade of the week, trade of the month, trade of the year club. This is a as required as I see it kind of thing. So sometimes you might get two or three videos in a month and you might go a month and not see one. I try not to go that long without at least doing an update on either the commitment of traders or some news that's breaking in the precious metals or whatever, but nonetheless, it's random. In other words, some months you get a lot, some months you get a few, but nonetheless, I am on top of the market, and I do my best to serve those that uh, are paid members.
0: We'll be right back. The Yellow Martin Report is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 B.C. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral prolific and mining-friendly Sonora State, where El Tigre Silver Corp.'s 5,000-meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong, proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp. is poised to identify a resource in an area that from nineteen oh five to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com, or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com.
1: We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com.
0: What are some of the things that you're going to be doing in the next few months to increase your knowledge of what's going on in the space, and also your subscribers?
3: Well, I'm always learning. I mean, what I've taught my daughters and a lot of people close to me is, in my view, the best way to enjoy life is to become a lifelong learner. And as you may know, Ellis is in this movie, The Four Horsemen, and in that movie they have a quote from Mark Twain, and I don't have it verbatim, but basically he never let formal education get in the way of his lifelong learning. I mean, that's not the exact quote, but that's the idea. And I think Mark Twain was quite a character. Nonetheless, I have a lot of people that help me now. I mean, the staff has grown rather substantially over the last decade, and so I have some very bright minds that help me, and I get those. Stuff from my members as well. Hey, David, did you see this or did you see that or would you comment on this or that type of thing? In fact, this trade that I put on didn't necessarily come from a subscriber, but it was one that's been with me quite some time. And he said, David, I know about the seasonality trade that you did last year and it actually didn't work last year. What do you think about this year? And I started doing some work on that and visiting uh, one of my friends that's one of the best traders that I know of, Courtney Smith. And I started looking at everything and going, this thing is a setup. This thing just looks too good. So I went back and did a little more work, and said, "You know, this is it. I'm I'm pulling the trigger." And of course, again, I put that out for a paid member. So I really enjoy what I do. But as far as can I learn enough? Now I'm always learning more. And what was coming up, I think what's coming up is, is, is some gains now, finally, for people that want to get into the silver market, the gold market. The only concern I have going forward, Ellis, right now, is the overall general stock market. It looks like a real setup as a bear trap, even though, yeah, the Dow's looking very toppy or, you know, making new highs or toward them, and the S&P looks good, and you are seeing a lot of things of why you should be in stock in the mainstream press and some of the alternative press. The truth be, knowing that The volume is very weak. All the work that I do and others that really look at some indicators, a bit of a clue to what's really going on underneath the market, the underlying strength is not there. So what scares me a bit is that we could get a general market sell-off. And the mining stocks would probably fall back somewhat, but I don't think they would fall back to the low that I've already called. In other words, I think, yeah, they'd sympathize somewhat and then rebound sharply. So bear that in mind. It's always hard to make these calls. But as you know, Ellis, I'm not afraid to stick my neck out.
0: Well, October seems to be the month typically for these types of pullbacks that you're referring to.
3: It does, and it you know wouldn't uh, surprise me to see that. And I don't want to contradict myself that I don't like the seasonalities this year in the metals, as far as the seasonalities in the general stock market. No, actually they're actually holding fairly well. And then of course you've got to factor in it's a political election year it's it's presidential election year and depending on the powers that be how they want to move the market or make it look uh, if there's a lot of power and a lot of fiat which they control and they don't want the market to fall too far they do have a lot of power and they pretty much can prevent it the market itself can actually overpower them at least for a short term but we'll just have to wait and see it's a tough call because it's an election year
0: and to follow you at Silver Guru on YouTube and theMorganReport.com. That's correct. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program.
3: My pleasure, also. Thank you.
0: I've been speaking with the Silver Guru, David Morgan of theMorganReport.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State,
1: Mexico. Find them on the web at ElTigreSilverCorp.com. Hey, it's me, Cool Voice Guy. If you'd like to hear any of these audio segments again, find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. You'll also be able to review a great deal of news and information on a variety of topics that Ellis Martin feels is important for you to see. Wow. That's MartinReport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at expeditionmining.com.
0: Dudley Baker is the editor of Precious Metals Warrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are. Buying and selling, and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Hey, it's good to be here, Ellis. We're fortunate enough to have a sponsor, which means we can keep the lights on at the Yellow Smart Report.
4: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's really cool. And we would like to give recognition here Expedition Mining. So it's expeditionmining.com, symbol EXU on the Venture Exchange. So we just encourage our listeners to visit the website, plug in their stock symbol, and do your own due diligence. The bid, as we start recording, is 11 cents to 12 cents. You take a look at the story and you make decisions for yourself, okay? But we definitely appreciate them being on board with us and giving us this great opportunity to communicate with all the listeners.
0: Well, we're certainly grateful for our sponsor. Platinum is up significantly today. I think there's something going on in South Africa that is squeezing supply. And gold is up. Are we seeing the end of the summer doldrums just ahead of a September rally? It's been a
4: slow process, hasn't it? Just looking at platinum, as you mentioned, normally I'm not following this by any means on a daily basis and don't have... Too many of the companies in the platinum arena that we're actually following either. But I see, yeah, platinum as we speak is up 24. We got gold at 1621, so up a little over five dollars today. And silver is looking pretty good. i say up 56 cents, so we're 28.65. So a little strength coming in, and it's just like it's building. It's just little by little, with no explosion. If you're an investor sitting on the sidelines, you know, and not really paying attention, you may not even be seeing what to me seems to be building. You know, it's like the, the old freight train on the track just getting started. Well, it's a slow process, right? It takes a while to get those wheels turning, but once it gets to rolling, then you can't hardly stop it. So I do think the bottom is definitely in, but we really, we've got to get above this. I'll say the sixteen forty, sixteen fifty 1650 is gonna make us feel a lot better that truly we're off to the races. Obviously on the clock, by the calendar, August we're right here in a great time for gold to have already hit the bottom or still the bottom right in front of us. so but should be a great time for all investors here from now going forward.
0: Do you really think we could see a further bottom and downturn before September? Is that possible?
4: I don't see that happening, but let's face it. gosh, we're already sitting on 20 August as we speak, right? I really think the bottom is in place. I only know one other analyst that is holding out the possibility that we still may break 1500 and head lower, even though he is willing to capitulate that he is wrong if we get over the 1720 range. So I'm betting, and I think most other analyst newsletter writers in the business on the bullish side, that the bottom is in place, and we've got some really good days coming in front of us.
0: So what's your plan for the next week or two?
4: Well, I've got a trip. I'll tell you about that in just a minute going on in the morning. I think that ultimately will be of interest to some of our readers here. But from an investment standpoint, I'm sitting with a little bit of cash here and definitely looking to get this redeployed pretty darn quick. I'm a guy that usually, you might use the expression all in, and more often than not, I'm all in. I juggled some positions last week, freed up a little bit of cash, and now just looking for a few other opportunities to slip into. Again, if investors have some cash, Cash. You really need to be looking at what do you feel as great opportunities. And again, I always use a time horizon roughly that eighteen months. You know, out to the January February two thousand fourteen is where I'm looking out to at the moment, and looking to have quite a ride out to that time frame. Normally, we don't talk company names. I'm going to mention this name to you here. It was kind of a special day. Sandstorm Gold, which is a gold streaming company. You know, the equivalent of Silver Wheaton, which has been a, a spectacular success. I mentioned Sandstorm Gold only because today they listed on the New York Stock Exchange, which is a, a credible milestone, and rang the opening bell this morning on the New York Stock Exchange. So that was pretty cool. And without giving any specifics here to upset my current subscribers, but just let our listeners know, on Sandstorm, there are two long-term warrants that trade on Sandstorm Gold. These are included in our warrant database. Both have different terms, exercise price, different expiration dates. And so that's another way to play sandstorm gold. If you love the gold streaming model, we'd encourage you you to visit our website, preciousmetalswarrants.com. We want you to sign up as a subscriber, obviously, but that's a, a great opportunity there. So I think there's just a lot of great opportunities out here going forward.
0: Well, that's a company that likes to invest in juniors as part of their business model.
4: They go out and actually buy the gold production and then have access to that. They're able to lock it in. They actually pay the company's cash and then lock in their cost at maybe four to $500 an ounce on gold and then they're going to get percentage of the future production out of those mines. So right now they have quite a few, I want to say maybe five or six different gold income streams. Some of these are just coming online as we speak, so their timing is going to be good. If Sandstorm Gold becomes anywhere near as successful as the Silver Wheaton, I think this is just a great, time still to get in on the company as well as as the warrants. One thing I wanted to mention, with our services, we're really the founder and the editor of preciousmetalswarrants.com and also the spokesperson for the Greedy Guru. I know everybody kind of scoffs at the name, the greedy guru, what's that about? But literally, this is the top picks of the pros of a lot of the big newsletter writers in the business. And so we fine-tuned this and got this list down to, let's say, 20 or less companies out of the thousands of resource companies out there. So it's a really cool approach. But with both of these services, we've got literally subscribers Around the world. What I'm doing tomorrow? I think I've got a six o'clock a.m. flight out of Guadalajara, which is going to be incredible to uh, get up that early and get there. I'm heading to Panama, Panama City. Been there several times because of the fact that we do have worldwide subscribers. There's people that are interested in, let's say, brokerage accounts outside the United States or out of their normal country, wherever that may be, and maybe, you know, an attorney or whatever that's in Panama. And through the last couple of years, you know, we've developed, a, uh, say, a, a friendship or a business relationship with an attorney in Panama, as well as a, a brokerage firm down there. So I'll be down for roughly a week, and we'll be visiting on numerous occasions. I think I already know the answer to the question. I think over the last even months, it's getting tougher coming back to U.S., citizens. Because as U.S. citizens know, with the intrusion of the U.S. government and the Big Brother effect, pretty much there are very few countries that want to deal with the U.S. government. I think what we're going to confirm on this trip is that basically the banks and the brokerage firms no longer want to deal with U.S. citizens, period. It's going to be an interesting trip. It's going to be maybe a little bit of play in the middle of this, but basically it's going to be a true uh, business trip to really ascertain the answers to these questions, even though I think we already know the answers, but I want to, you know, we'll spend some time and a little socializing with these uh, representatives that we know. Frequently we do hear about or read about seminars going on in Panama and different things, you know, taking place down there, and, and to me that leads a person to believe that you can go down and just Open an and yada yada yada. And I think this is probably the furthest from the truth. Anyhow, it's going to be an interesting trip.
1: We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has assets in the Yukon Territory as well as Nevada. Over 12.5 million ounces of gold have been produced from the Yukon since 1896, with a present-day worth of approximately $15.6 billion. And the territory is still relatively unexplored. Many of the known mineral occurrences are yet to be thoroughly investigated with modern exploration technologies. Expedition has recently begun its Joy and Mount Mervin projects. These properties are located along the Racklow, Gold Belt in the Yukon. In Nevada, Expedition Mining has 100% interest in three gold exploration properties located within the Walker Lane Mineral Belt. Like the Yukon, Nevada is one of the top 10 jurisdictions worldwide for encouraging mining investment. Nevada hosts many world-class gold deposits being exploited by major mining companies. With a strong management team, cash in the bank, and potentially prolific resources in the Yukon and Nevada, Expedition Mining is well-positioned for upward momentum in the resource sector. Visit their website, expeditionmining.com and we're back. And to stand over your shoulder and
0: observe what you're watching with regard to companies, it's preciousmetalswarrants.com.
4: Yes, sir. That's the good core service that we cover a lot of stuff, including the insider transactions and get to see my portfolio. We get to see all the warrants that are trading in the U.S. and Canada. And we got a table now uh, recently all up to date on all of the leaps, the long-term leaps that are trading on all of the resource companies. So I I think the count when I did this was like 65 resource companies that have uh, options and leaps that are trading. So we got a table that we put together for uh, those subscribers at PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Saves you a lot of work and all linked uh, right into Yahoo for those quotes. that's pretty
0: cool. Well, Dudley, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Have a safe and rewarding trip to Panama. I'll speak to you when you return.
4: Sounds great. Always a pleasure.
0: I've been chatting with Dudley Baker of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and TheGreedyGuru.com. Listen to this segment
1: again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. This segment has been sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at expeditionmining.com. Hey, it's me, Cool Voice Guy. Unless your brain is the size of a watermelon, like mine, you'd probably like to hear these segments again and again and again. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. If you listen to all of them, your mind will be saturated with money juice. That's what I call it. That's ellismartinreport.com. Ian Chalmers is the Managing Director of Alkane
0: Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Alkane has significant assets of zirconium in its Dubbo zirconia project with rare earths and rare metals, and then gold in its Tomlingley Gold Project, as well as copper in New South Wales, Australia. Ian, welcome back to the program. Oh, uh, hi, Alice. Now, I wasn't aware of all the projects that Alkene Resources has had over the years, evidently. We've covered the Dobo Zirconia Project. We've spoken about the Tomlin Gold Project. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, while everyone is on summer vacation here in North America, you sell your interest in a McPhillamy's Gold Project, a joint venture that you have with Newmont Exploration, a subsidiary of the giant Newmont Mining for a paltry $75.6 million? Mm, Correct. Uh, Now, why didn't we know about this? This is great news. Congratulations. What are you going to do with all that cash or stock?
5: Um, well, look, it's interesting. It goes back a long way, and it's it's just part of our exploration activities, and because when you have development projects, people don't take a lot of interest in what you're doing in an exploration sense, but we actually discovered McPhillamy's back in 2006, and by 2009, I think, uh, or 2010, reported the 3 million ounce resource there, uh, and at that stage the joint venture was with Newmont. Uh, they came in and they earned a 51% interest, and sometimes the markets tend to take us of a, a light-slot negative view of when you're in joint venture with majors. I mean, you have 49%, therefore the major dominates the timetable and dominates what's being done. So in that sense, it sort of got pushed down the recognition pile, even though it probably still rates as one of the best Greenfield gold discoveries in Australia in the last sort of five years or so. So, yeah, it was important. It was very important to us. When you have a major like Newmont who's there looking all the time around the world at all their different opportunities, McPhillamy's probably slipped down their uh, list of priorities a little bit, and it wasn't going anywhere. Unfortunately, the Regis opportunity came out, Regis Resources opportunity came out, and it seemed like a smart thing to do, Sell a solar project 100%, because obviously Newmont were party to that as well. And then we felt we'd sit back and hang on to the Regis shares and uh, go for a ride with them and get some return out of the project when they put it into production. Now, the good thing about Regis is that they're already a gold producer, probably heading towards 300000 1, ounces a year and maybe greater and then with McPhillamy's coming on stream in maybe three or so years time they might be a half a million ounce gold producer. So they're a very substantial group, and very substantial production capacity and the shares to us, if you like, going into the bank account, they'll sit there uh, we have no need or desire to sell the shares at this point in time but we'll sit on it and um, just see what happens. And It's interesting, I mean, given that the deal was done at a, at a base price of $4.20 and today Regis are already trading at $4.70 seventy something. So we probably made ten million dollars since we did the deal a week or so ago. So it's it's useful. But it's a bit like a bank account, having it sitting there in the bank account and hopefully accumulating over the next year or so.
0: What was the cost to acquire and explore or define that project? What was your investment?
5: Our investment's actually quite small. I mean, we acquired the ground by applying for an exploration licence. I mean, we apply for these licences as long as there's no conflicting land use or other exploration titles and there. We were granted that back in, gosh, about 2000. We did some work on it in 2000 and then sort of slowly sort of got tied up doing Tomingley and tied up doing Dubbo and that's ultimately why we farmed it out to Newmont I mean, they came to us in 2000 and said look we've done a bit of a, a geological analysis of that region uh, you've got some good properties would you be interested in joint venturing and at that stage the prime target was a different project not McPhillamy's but the nice thing about it is that because they had no presence in that region they allowed us to do all the exploration work we put up the programs and budgets they provided the cash to do that and really we finally convinced them that this area we call Mc Philomies was worth drilling so Alcane's exposure into the project is the total project is probably less than half a million dollars now over the subsequent years since the joint venture got rolling Neumont have probably spent total of 15 million dollars so it's a good return for them and it's an extremely good return for us.
0: It's an incredible return for you.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's fabulous. I mean in a technical sense, I mean I'm a geologist and, you know, I know how difficult it is to find three million ounce gold deposits. So I guess technically my internal technical body was saying to me, you know, don't sell but in a corporate sense it was a very, very smart and logical thing to do. And it just helps alkane going forward over the next sort of four or five years.
0: Well, sure, that's a possible $5 billion resource. That's a liberal number, and certainly some shareholders might be saying, sure, that's 150 now, but what could it be worth down the road, and why aren't you developing it when Double generates enough cash to get that into production? But McPhillamy's never been your main focus, has it?
5: No, it hasn't. And, and we understand those questions. In fact, we got some of those questions here when we made the announcement as to why we aren't doing it. The issue really is that you can only do so much. I mean, we've got Tomingley ready to go, Dubbo a year or so down the road ready to go. We would have had to have gone and bought Newmont out, so we would have had to buy. And they they may not have wanted to sell to us, but we would have had to buy them out first. Then do all the exploration and feasibility study work. That'd probably take us say three years. It'd cost us a hundred million dollars, maybe more, then to a point where have then got to find another 200, 300 million dollars to develop the project. So we just weighed that up against where we're going with Timingley, where we're going with Dubbo and some of the other exploration projects and said, look, because of the joint venture structure, we're really better off taking that in shares in in somebody like Regis at this point in time because we know that ultimately over over the next two or three years we'll actually get a very substantial return back out of Regis without the risk and without the difficulties of putting another project into production.
0: Did Newmont do all the work in getting this property out of their inventory in yours?
5: They had an interest because they already are a shareholder in Regis Resources, and it had some merit to them to be able to do a transaction for shares because it then increased their shareholding in Regis. And like all big companies, they're always looking at a, a way to have the resources, to be able to quote the resources, also quote production. And they have this magic thing called equity accounting. So let's say that Newmont go up to 20% of Regis, it means that they an equity account, 20% of Regis's total resources in the ground as 20% are allocated to Newmont. And probably more importantly, when Regis go into production, or Regis are already in production, 20% of that output can be allocated and say, well, that's Newmont production as well. So it's a pretty neat deal in the sense that if you're a major company and you don't want the additional risk and time involved in, in say, developing a smaller project, it's a great way of adding to your perceived output by having this equity accounting concept. So they had motivation to do the deal with regis as well not so we didn't put it up for pretend that we didn't put it out for sale generally it was a deal specifically you know, targeted for regis
0: so is your remaining commonly gold project potential takeout candidate?
5: Not really it's too small it's a modest project it's probably 800,000 ounces in the ground there today over time we think we could push it to a million ounces but then the resource ounces sort of generally only equate or convert about 50 to 70 percent get converted into production ounces so it's a relatively small project and the reason we're committed to developing it is that it provides us with that bread and butter income that $20, $30 million a year income that will generate for us is just a very helpful backstop or insurance policy should for some reason Dubbo get pushed out another year or two or also to help us with our other exploration projects. We have three very good exploration projects in the same region, two of which could easily turn into all bodies in the next two or three years. So that cash flow coming out of Tom & Leaves, if you like, it, it funds the company independent of Dubbo. So that's the reason we wanted to hang on to it. Certainly we've had the, you know, the broking fraternity say to us a couple of times, oh, you need to split the company up between a gold company and a rare metal, rare earth company. And our view is it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, really, it's the cash flow that matters. It doesn't matter to me whether you're producing it from gold or copper or rare earths or widgets or something else for that matter. It's the cash flow that people should should acknowledge, and then you get valued on cash flow eventually, not on the commodity. And the diversity gives you some flexibility, gives you some again insurance. if the gold price of dives in the next two or three years well we've got Dubbo sitting there we've got other copper projects it might be vice versa maybe the rare earth market again, just wild to wild speculation falls apart totally then we've always got the gold as a backstop and the gold income so we publicly state we're a diversified company the difference is that that diversification is very geographically focused one small tight area in the state of New South Wales is where we see all of our developments coming so it's a long-winded way of answering a question but basically at this stage we see Tomingly as an important part of the development of the company you
0: did just mention copper yes
5: yes we do have a copper exploration project yep
0: now copper is a metal that does well when rare earths and rare metals do well or are in demand what kind of copper resource do you have and how do you expect to monetize that in the future
5: Right now, we've got a small defined copper resource. It's only about 2 million tonnes of 1% copper. It's a relatively small resource, but it is open pitable and it does produce a very nice, clean copper concentrate. We think we can double or triple that size over the next couple of years and get it up to, say, 5 to 8 million tonnes. It becomes a worthwhile project. Again, not a large copper project, but something that's there and there's a market for the metal. We also have another exploration project nearby, which is a potentially much larger copper gold porphyry system. For example, Newcrest, Australia's uh, still biggest gold producer or or domestic gold producer, is about 100 kilometres down the road from where we're working. Now, that deposit that they have there is something like 40 or 50 million ounces in ground. Now, I'm not saying we found that, but this other exploration project is the same geological environment but it takes time to explore these and to develop the potential resources. So we've got the copper resource there, small but can be expanded, and nearby another sort of copper-gold porphyry system, which again needs exploration. So these are the pipeline of projects that we see alkane looking to develop over the next three to five years. And you're right about copper. I mean, it still remains an important industrial metal. It's not up there with, say, iron ore or coal or those metals, but it's a very important metal in any industrialisation. And you look at the graphs that the like Rio Tinto and BHP put out, they'll show how copper growth is dependent upon the stage of development of a country. Now, as you get up into stable development in most Western countries, for example, the copper demand is fairly flat, but maybe grows at 3 or 4% per annum. Countries like China, which are in this enormous growth phase, that copper demand can be 10 to 15% per annum. So there's still a big demand going forward for copper in the next 10 to 20 years as countries like China and India industrialise. It's a good measure. It's an interesting metal to be involved in, and so we see a lot of future in
0: it. We've touched on this previously, but I'll repeat it for the benefit of our new listeners, Ian. This is not a new company, and years ago you spent quite a bit of time staking out the area in New South Wales with the knowledge that down the road or in the future there'd be a market for everything in a polymetallic sense that you have found
5: that's always been the strategy it's something we have believed in in the metals business we believed in where it's going we've certainly believed in the rare metal rare earth business and said I've been involved in it for 25 years probably 15 years ago you know I felt we were about to go through the transition where these metals would really start to come into their into their own as being you know, new age metals or environmentally necessary metals and that's all been part of the general strategy, so you're right, I mean the company's been around for many years, but going back uh, to our involvement probably the early 90s, 1990 onwards, uh, we really did put a big effort into building up our land position and then ultimately having the strategy of multiple developments.
0: Let's talk about rare earths and rare metals specifically. While two of the largest companies in the space, Lioness and Molycor, have experienced a bit of a takedown and some of my peers are calling the sector somewhat of a bubble, the fact remains that you have Memorandums of Understandings, or MOUs, for probable off-tick agreements for everything you'll have coming out of the double area, correct?
5: That's correct, yes. You're right about the negative sentiment that's crept into the industry. And I mean, it's generally wrong. I mean, people have got to stand back. Okay, we did go through an enormous bubble-type effect back in early last year, middle of 2011, but it's now starting to stabilise, and I think over the next year or so, you'll start to see prices stabilise again as demand picks up. And again, we unfortunately, we're going through another flat demand the time. but as demand picks up those prices will start to come back to a level which is then long term sustainable and sure the guys like molycore and linus are going to be there at the forefront with their big, light, rare earth production, there is still scope for other companies like ourselves with four to 5,000 tonnes a year of production, which aren't impacted to the same degree as you know, the bigger guys, Linus and Molycorp, so it's still a very good business, it's going through another transition that it will go through over the next, I sort said, of, one to two years the Chinese are looking at it much more long term sustainable now than what they're doing to the industry inside China so it is a good business, but the trouble is that the market has just taken this very negative view on it at present and uh, is not standing back and looking at the fundamentals when they're trying to value these companies. And unfortunately, we see it quite often.
0: Regardless of all of that negative news in the rare metal space, Tom and Lee is about to go into production. You've just offloaded the McPhillamy Gold Project for $76 million or shares equivalent. And then, of course, the Dubbo Zirconia project will go into production, generating half a billion dollars a year for perhaps 100 years. So if you're looking for value in the sector at all, Alcan looks like a reasonable risk.
5: Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we would agree with you completely that it's getting that message across. It's very hard. There's still a lot of skepticism and particularly when you start talking capital costs of a billion dollars. People always say to you, how are you going to raise that? How are you going to raise that in this market? The short answer is, look, We're not trying to raise a billion dollars today. Maybe 12 months, 18 months' time when we need the money, that's when we're back out there and there are multiple ways to do it. So people shouldn't get too negative at this stage about the industry and about where Alkane will be in two years' time or three years' time.
0: Well, Ian, it's been a fascinating conversation this week. We've covered a lot of proverbial ground, so to speak, in the mining business. I look forward to speaking with you again as you have promised continuous news flow with regard to Alkane, and you have not disappointed. Thanks for being on the program.
5: Thanks, Ellis. It's nice to talk to you, too. Thank you.
0: I've been speaking with Ian Chalmers, CEO and Managing Director of Alkane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Find their logo and click through to the Alkane website
1: on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Hey, this is Cool Voice Guy. Would you like to hear all of that again? Go to the podcast page of our website. That's ellismartinreport.com. ellismartinreport.com. Otherwise known as ellismartinreport.com. In this segment, I'll be
0: speaking with Michael McClellan, president of Gale Force Petroleum, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GFP. Dot v. And on the OTCQX as GFPMF, GaleForce Petroleum is a company focused on acquiring and exploiting underdeveloped and undervalued oil and gas reserves in mature basins, bringing operational expertise and capital to lower-risk development-type projects. GaleForce currently owns producing oil and gas properties in Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and West Virginia. Michael, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ellis. So tell us something about Gale Force Petroleum. We've had you on the air with one of our analysts, Josh Young, but for those new listeners, you're a producer.
6: Yes, we have cash flow positive, profitable, productive operations. Two years in the making, production has increased over nine successive quarters. Cash flows generated continue to increase.
0: That. When was the company founded, Michael?
6: Gale Force was launched under its new and current business plan in May of 2010 and began a series of acquisitions that have resulted in the company having an NAV of somewhere around 70 cents per share, maybe even a dollar per share. Our new reserves report will be out in August. As I mentioned, our production has increased every quarter since then. The business plan was to acquire underdeveloped properties in the southern U.S., focusing mainly in Texas, and bring capital and expertise to those underdeveloped properties and not take a lot of risk. We haven't drilled any wells yet. We've merely bought existing production or previously producing wells and then brought them back onto production. And the strategy has worked very well for us so far, and we've been able to earn very good returns for our investors.
0: As compared to other resource companies, we're not waiting for you to find oil. You're not really wasting any money on speculative drilling, are you?
6: no mainly proof shallow oil reserves, whether it was existing production or prior production in the recent past. And we've reactivated that production using some new technologies, but mostly proven technologies. So there isn't a lot of risk with what we do. And yes, the cash flows back out of the properties we purchased and developed have begun immediately. And that has helped us grow the business because we've been reinvesting that cash all the way along.
0: Do you expect to have to go back to the market for any further funding?
6: We are fully funded at the moment. You know, we don't expect to go back to market anytime soon, but we're a public company and we're growing very fast. We've done 10 acquisitions now in just over two years. At some point, we likely will need to raise additional capital to continue our growth, but that wouldn't be till sometime in 2013.
0: When the price of oil comes off like it did this year, it doesn't really affect your bottom line much, does it?
6: No, I mean, this is all good territory for us. We've modeled our business at $80 oil and we've got a lot of hedges in place. There are swaps at $100 oil for about two-thirds of our production. So even if oil is at $80, we're still going to be getting over $100 on a majority of our production. Those hedges are in place you know, on a declining basis through to the middle of 2014, so we feel very secure about our cash flows over the next two years.
0: That's very secure. Tell us about the board of directors of your company and your background as well, if you don't mind.
6: My co-chairman now is Scott Patterson. He's one of Canada's biggest producing investment bankers ever, raising over a billion dollars for various junior resource and technology and other companies going back uh, a couple decades. He currently sits on the board of Lionsgate Cinema, which I'm sure you've heard of being in California. He's an uh, excellent resource on the, the market side of things. Robert Johnson is a local Dallas director who's got 10 years' experience in the oil and gas business, ran and owned a private oil and gas company with Emery Johnson of Operations for 10 years. He's a very successful entrepreneur in the technology business as well. Ruben Alba is ex Superior, ex Halliburton. He's the chairman of our reserves committee, one of the most talented deal flow assessors uh, that I've ever seen. He's got an excellent background in geophysics, geology, and engineering, so he brings a lot to the table. Charles Marlowe is a uh, head trader and founder at palos management which is a half a billion dollar fund out of montreal he mainly executes short long strategies on oil and gas stocks so he's very knowledgeable in our space and has helped out greatly on the market side of things guillaume dumas on our board he's also our cfo he's got 20 years experience in capital market raising money for junior companies he's a lawyer by background but has an excellent financial and legal mind so we've actually got a overall a, an excellent board that brings a lot of different perspectives there's a very collaborative approach at the board level that leads to very good decision-making, as far as I can tell, and I, I love working with these guys. On the operational side of things, Emery Johnson, our chief of operations, he's got 40 years experience in executive management. He spent last. 13 years successfully building and operating an oil and gas company in East Texas. Very steady hand in terms of managing and the growth of our production. Daniel Smith is our chief technical advisor. He's based out of Tyler, Texas. He was formerly with XTO and oversaw a million cubic feet of gas production a day. Very challenging completion techniques that he executed on there. He's helping us with all aspects of our development. And actually, Daniel, Ruben, and Emery form our technical committee. And that technical committee oversees and approves all of our capital Apex for development. And so between Ruben's experience with Sphere and Hallie Burton, Daniel's with XTO, and Emery's in operations, we've got an amazing technical team.
0: And how about yourself? What brought you into the company?
6: I was initially hired to Structure and relaunch Gale Force. My background is in finance and general business. I did a Bachelor of Commerce way back when, and initially worked doing swap operations with Deutsche Bank in London, England. I helped set up financial systems for the Scottish Parliament in 2001, when the Parliament was founded. Then I was selling hedge funds and mutual funds for pioneer investments out of France, here at Middle East Africa. When I came back to Canada, I moved to Montreal, and did various financial roles, but I ended up becoming the CFO of a technology company that was listed on the Venture Exchange and ascertained a lot of corporate finance experience. Ultimately, that led to being the CFO and CEO of what is now Gale Force, and being hired to restructure it and write the new business plan. I wrote that business plan with the help of others, to take advantage of the current macroeconomic climate. We wrote it with the benefit of having seen the gas price collapse of 2008 and the general difficulty small companies were having financing themselves after the financial crisis. So we've only gone after shallow oil. We haven't really pursued gas at all. We do have some gas production, but it's liquids rich gas production. We've gone after opportunities where the sellers of properties have often been in financial distress which has allowed us to buy at relatively good values. Not every single property we bought has been coming in or out of a bankruptcy, but some of them have been, and it's, it's enabled us to get in at very good prices on the properties before we start applying capital to the development part of the process. Right now, we would intend to continue doing what we've been doing for the last two years because it works. We've got a little bit of a track record now, over two years, of successfully doing what we had set out to do initially. And the business plan that we wrote back then is just as much or even more suitable for today's. What I mean by that is that a company like ours is ideally positioned to take advantage of opportunities that a lot of other companies cannot take advantage of. We have a $15 million bank line of credit at 5%, so very low interest rate. There are not a lot of other companies that can raise equity capital like we can, and we've successfully raised all the equity we've needed to do what we've done so far.
0: Clearly, your hedging strategy has paid off because, according to what I understand, You've made about $1.63 million on those hedges on the price of oil in the first quarter of this year.
6: Yes, that's a great indication. Those are unrealized gains, but it does show you that even if oil prices do fall, we will be well cushioned. You know, At any time we could, with the permission of our bank, of course, dispose of that position, take that money, and apply it towards you know, new project.
0: Long-term strategy for the company five years down the road?
6: Five years down the road, we will have converted into an income trust or been bought out by someone bigger than us that's willing to pay what we're worth. And I would actually imagine that either of those two scenarios would unfold much sooner than five years from now. What we're attempting to do with Gilforce is to grow our production to... 1,000, 1,500 barrels a day within the next two years could be sooner or later depending on how successful we are in execution on the business plan. But we're on track for that. We're on track right now to get to 600 BOE per day in September, um, 800 BOE per day end of this year, sometime mid 2013. You know, crossing over the 1,000 BOE per day threshold. And these numbers could be higher or lower depending on the pace at which we do any future acquisitions. But when we get to those types of production levels and we're generating the type of cash that we'll be able to do with those types of production levels, it's a natural for us to try to convert ourselves into a loyalty trust or income trust. There's two approaches to that we're exploring right now. We've actually hired an investment bank to analyze the two approaches. One is to do so in the United States where the valuations that companies who are royalty trusts are obtaining are significant multiple of the valuation that we're getting right now. In Canada, there's the same thing. There's a royalty trust structure that works in Canada as long as there are foreign held assets. And given that Gale Force is a U.S. company, all of our assets are in the U.S., we can continue to be listed as a unit trust in Canada with foreign U.S. assets and qualify for that royalty trust structure. And in so doing, hopefully get the type of valuations that other royalty trusts are getting, which would be, you know, a two or three times multiple for more Gale Force is trading at today.
0: Speaking of trading, can you talk about your share structure?
6: Gale Force has got a very clean share structure. We do have some preferred shares out, but they're essentially non-voting common shares that were created to restrict the voting power of certain key investors. So we've got common shares or preferred shares, and then we've got straight bank debt. We don't have any, you know, weird convertible instruments, convertible debentures, things that make the cap structure difficult to understand. We've got about 85 million shares out overall and don't expect to go to market for another year. We've got $6 million of capital to spend today on top of just having acquired a $4 million property. There's additional capital that will become available to us likely from our bank line. So we've got a very clean, good capital structure that's perfectly suited to help us grow our business rapidly over the next year.
0: Well, Michael, thanks very much for joining me today on the program. We're looking forward to hearing from you again in the near future. Thanks, folks. I've been speaking with Michael McClellan, CEO of Gale Force Petroleum, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GFP.V and on the OTCQX as GFPMF. Find a link to their website on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Well, that wraps up the Ellis Martin Report for this week. I'd like to thank David Morgan, Dudley Baker, Gale Force Petroleum, Alkane Resources, El Tigre Silver Corp., and Expedition Mining for being a part of the program. Your thoughts and opinions are welcome. Contact me at martinreports at gmail.com. That's martinreports at gmail.com. You can download the Ellis Martin Report on iTunes if you haven't done so already. Thanks for listening.
1: Well, that's all you get for now. The Ellis Martin Report will be back soon. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and a few choice individuals engage us financially. But not like we're married or anything. To let you hear all about themselves. I'd like to hear about me too. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of our powerful programming on the web at ellismartinreport.com. The Ellis Martin Report is a unit of Big Sky Productions, Incorporated. For Ellis Martin, this is Cool Voice Guy. Asta baby.